Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. A warning to our listeners, this episode contains particularly graphic descriptions of violence and a murder. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. It is the most shocking crime in Charlotte that you haven't heard about. For two years, the pandemic has delayed justice for a 20-year-old woman who was tortured and stabbed, her body hidden in a mattress. And tonight, the victim's family wants you to hear their story as they search for answers and for closure. Police call it one of the most shocking crimes they've ever seen. It happened right here at this upscale apartment complex right in the heart of Noda. A young girl with special needs tortured. The details of the crime, utterly unbelievable. Mary Collins was murdered in March of 2020. Her story and what happened to her, much of it unnoticed by many as the first wave of the COVID pandemic was sweeping across the country. But Mary's family wants her story to be heard, who she was and what happened to her. You know, crime is difficult in general. Murder is horrible. But this one is so egregious, and there are so many layers. And the thing that struck me was the aunt says every time she pictures Mary now, it's hard for her not to picture, you know, the last few moments of her life and what she was thinking about and the pain that she was going through. Um, And it's very difficult for them that they weren't able to protect her. Um, She died a pretty horrible death. There's just no getting around it. Um, Death is hard no matter what, but to die in this way, um, I think makes it that much more difficult for the family to get any sense of closure. The hardest part is thinking about the torturing that Mary went through and that she's gone and we don't get her back. And I can't take any of that pain away from her that she experienced. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Michelle Bowden has been working in the news business for a long time. She's been at WCNC in Charlotte since 2006. And today she's the senior reporter at the station specializing in investigative journalism. She's covered a lot of crime stories over the years. But more recently, she stayed away from crime for personal reasons. The stories can hit hard. And Michelle's the kind of reporter who dives in and immerses herself in a case. But when she heard about Mary Collins and what happened to her back in March of 2020, she decided she had to cover it. 
Yeah, actually, the grandmother, um, who we did not interview in the story because she's a witness in the case, but she reached out to me, I think it was about six to eight months ago, and she was concerned, pretty um, and upset, obviously, uh, because this case happened literally the week of the nationwide lockdown. It was the day after the governor here in North Carolina locked things down. So because of that, there was so much emphasis, obviously, on COVID that this story that typically would have gotten a ton of national attention because of its unusual nature um, got almost no attention. So the grandmother reached out to me and genuinely, she just really wanted to tell the story of her granddaughter, um, who she was the guardian of. So essentially she was her mother. Uh, she helped, she raised her. And the truth is I've been a crime reporter for more than 20 years. Crime's always been a part of what I've covered at every station I've been at. And I don't like doing it. I have it for many, many years and I've shied away from it. I have that privilege as a veteran reporter now to say, you know what? I don't want to do these types of stories. I just shy away from them because I know at the heart of all of those stories are the people, um, that have gone through quite a bit of suffering. So that's sort of the backstory on how I got the story and my approach to the story. I was very reluctant. And this type of story, you live with it as a reporter. Uh, my dining room table was covered in search warrants and um, I was listening to bond hearings for hours at a time. So it's the kind of thing that it, it stays with you for a long time. And even though this story um, has aired and is out there now and has gotten quite a bit of feedback, I'm not done with it. Um, we'll still be doing um, follow-up stories. So again, I had to think long and hard about agreeing to do the story but in retrospect, I'm glad that we did it because it was an important story to be told. Michelle would learn all about Mary Collins over months of investigation. She'd learned that Mary had challenges and that she'd worked hard to fit in, navigating life as a young person with special needs. Mary Collins was 20 years old. She was considered special needs because she um, was born with this very rare genetic disorder that essentially um, meant that she was very cognitively de delayed. Her family says she was more like a 14 or 15 year old in her, sort of her thinking. She was very vulnerable. She trusted people easily. Um, she, if the simple things were hard for her, counting change, she couldn't navigate her own neighborhood. She certainly didn't drive, didn't have a license. Um, so that just sort of gives you an idea of who Mary was and sort of the challenges that she faced in day-to-day -day life that you know most of us don't. Mary's aunt, Kara Williams, says other aspects of Mary's personality were challenging for her as well. She was just such a sweet person that she expected everybody was like that. And so she was very vulnerable and very easily manipulated. In high school, Mary had briefly dated another student, Lavi Pham. So she went to high school. She went to multiple schools. One of the schools that she went to, she went to school uh, with Lavi Pham. And according to her family, they actually dated for really just a couple of weeks uh, because Mary, they say, was very immature just because of, you know, this disorder that she had. So she supposedly dated Lavi Pham, but they were friends. Her family actually knew Lavi Pham. But Mary and Lavi stayed in touch after school. In March of 2020, Lavi was in another relationship with Kelly Lavery. They were living together in an apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then Lavi Pham, um, when this all happened, was dating and living with Kelly Lavery. That was his girlfriend. And they were living in this apartment complex, an upscale apartment uh, in a gated apartment community. Mary's family tells Michelle that over the years, Mary's friendship with Pham and Lavery appeared to have a darker side. These were people that at times sort of alternated between being her friends and bullying her. There was a history on social media that it looked like Kelly Lavery, Lobby's new girlfriend, was bullying Mary. But according to her family, she was so desperate to fit in that she sort of didn't always see the bullying and then they would alternate and pretend to be her friends. I remember seeing the comments, ooh, nobody would want you. If I were you, I would want to disappear as soon as possible. On March 28th, 2020, as the COVID pandemic was forcing lockdowns across the country and in Charlotte, 
Pham and Lavery sent an Uber to bring Mary back to their apartment to hang out. Um, so she went over to the apartment and they were, you know, supposedly partying, hanging out. And then the two um, th- called a third friend. His name is James. He goes by Jimmy Salerno. And supposedly they were all partying. But Mary didn't return home that night or the next day. Worried, her grandmother tracked her cell phone to the apartment where Pham and Lavery lived. And on March 30th, she went over to try and find her. And when she went over there, the suspects tried to claim that um, Mary had left and was no longer there at the apartment. And they actually let the grandmother come in and do a very brief search. The grandmother actually took some photos while she was there at the apartment. Um, So nothing came of that. The grandmother, you know, all kinds of red flags, she says. And so she went home and filed a missing persons report with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. A few days later, on April 2nd, police showed up at the apartment. And Lavi Pham allowed them to do what's called a consent search. Police believed they had, you know, they knew they had a special needs teenager or 20-year-old that had disappeared. And so they did this initial consent search and reportedly lifted up. The police even acknowledge in an interview that we did with the lead homicide detective for CMPD, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department, they say they did actually lift the mattress because at that point they'd gotten a tip that Mary's body was there in the mattress. But when they lifted the mattress, they say they did not see anything unusual. They didn't find anything. So there was the grandmother's initial search, then there was the initial um, police consent search, where they say they're pretty limited in what they can do because, of course, the homeowner is letting them search. And so what happened is people started talking. Jimmy Salerno, according to police, started talking. This is written up in the search warrants. We've listened to it in bond hearings that he started telling people what he did. And there was a fourth person involved that, according to police, Jimmy called a girl that he'd met on Tinder, 18 years, she was then 18, America Deal, and told her to come hang out. Um, and according to her lawyers, that when she got there, she was forced into helping hide the body. So there's really four people in all of this. But Jimmy apparently is the one that sort of let the cat out of the bag, was talking to people to the point where police did that initial search and then were able to get search warrants to go in and do a full search. And that was the night of April 4th that police went back. Remember, Mary uh, essentially went missing March 28th. So April 4th, police go in and that's when they did find Mary's body and they arrested um uh, Lavi fam, they say they tried to arrest Kelly Lavery and she was completely passed out. They had to wake her up to arrest her. And then Jimmy Salerno was arrested later that night um, at his home, not not too far from the crime scene. America Deal um, had apparently left or, or went, fled to Colorado, um, and they tracked her down a few months later and arrested her. Investigators found Mary concealed inside the same mattress they'd already looked at during the consent search. They missed it. They didn't find it. The body was hidden that well. Uh, Mary was slight. She was very thin, very slender. Um, So she didn't weigh a ton as far as they wouldn't notice that. But they truly, according to the police, hid the body so well that the police did not find her body in that first search. I think a lot of people are shocked by that, but the police say she was just simply hidden so well. Michelle Bowden asked Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department Detective Brian Crum about how that could happen. That was a search that was done with the permission of the homeowners, which certainly limits our ability to look everywhere that we would want to look. Um, you know, we, we went everywhere we can, um, but there's certain limitations when somebody gives you permission to search their home. We can't destroy property. Um, we obviously can't, you know, we can't open anything. If they say, hey, not there, you can't do that. And I don't think it's reasonable for them, to, uh, for a homeowner to allow us to start opening um, and actually destroying property to search inside of it. So in that initial search that the homeowner consented to, the missing persons detectives did look at the mattress, but Absolutely. they didn't find Mary's body. Absolutely. So they looked, you know, under the mattress, um, along with the homeowners, there was nothing that was apparent at that time. Um, And this is 
really at this time, the second time someone has searched the house. So the family's been in the home. We've now been in the home. We didn't see anything that was apparent. And, you know, unfortunately, we were limited to what we could search, uh, like we discussed. Once her body was discovered, it was clear that Mary had been brutally murdered. According to police, Mary was stabbed 133 times. Um, and I want to let people sort of let that sink in. 133 times she was stabbed. And what's even more difficult to understand and grasp is that according to the medical examiner, those stab wounds were, for the most extent, superficial. So she didn't actually die from those stab wounds. So it was described that she was tortured because she was stabbed repeatedly and, and stuffed in a bathtub. And then I believe they finally said the cause of death was blunt torment. Uh, the final cause of death was blunt force trauma. Um, but according to police, after she was stabbed 133 times, they wrapped her um, in saran wrap and they duct taped her and they put her in trash bags and then they uh, put her inside a mattress. And that's where the body was hidden. Supposedly, they had planned to burn the mattress and that's how they were going to get rid of the body. Mary was very well concealed. Um, and I think some of that's reflected in the court record. Uh, when we ultimately went in with a search warrant, it wasn't even immediately apparent to us at that time until we began, you know, looking a little bit more closely at things, you know, search, searching things and looking to an extent that we wouldn't be able to do with the homeowner's permission. Um, we ultimately had to open up uh, the mattress in order to find her. You actually had to physically open up the she mattress. She was fully concealed inside of the mattress. Yes, ma'am. I think most people think, though, a body weighs a certain amount, so you lift a mattress and there'd be something unusual about it. Sure. It's just, you know, the way everything played out, it wasn't obvious. And I can tell you that even my folks, when they went back with the search with the search warrant, I mean, they were shocked at how well she was concealed. They even, in the search warrants, um, according to the warrants, used pumpkin spice shower gel um, and cascade dish detergent to mask the smell because anyone who's been around crime will tell you that after a few days, a decomposing body um, would emit a certain smell, and that was not the case here. I think there's a lot of thought that went into this um, as far as how to hide her and try to, to conceal what their crime was. Um, I think that they also were willing to speak with, with you know, us and with family, um, which is fairly unusual for, for people who have done something that's you know, just so horrific. Not just speak with, they actually consented to a search and sort of stood there. Sure. What does that say about someone's the, mindset? They were out asking for help in finding her to people in the neighborhoods. So um, it just, it, they just didn't, it don't seem to care. I don't, I don't know how you would live with that and, and do that um, and go about um, talking to the family and trying to be supportive, knowing the truth the entire time. They were putting on a show. Absolutely. Police charged Pham, Lavery, and Salerno with kidnapping, murder, and concealing a death. Deal faces charges of accessory after the fact and concealing a death. The three are in jail. The fourth is uh, apparently living, we're told, with her family awaiting trial. How the night of March 28, 2020 ended up in a brutal murder of an innocent young woman is not clear. According to court records, Mary's family continues to believe that Kelly Lavery had a history of bullying Mary Collins and was perhaps the central figure in her murder. So that's what came out um, in the bond hearing. That Certainly the family believes that. Um, and they actually showed us messages that were posted on social media that they had screenshots of. We couldn't independently confirm that they were indeed from Kelly Lavery, so we did not post them in our, as part of our story. But according to the family on uh, Twitter and on Facebook, for the last the year before Mary was murdered, 
um, Kelly Lavery would bully her online and post it publicly to the point where Mary's aunt saw it. And it was not, I believe, friends with Kelly Lavery on Facebook. Um, it, I don't know that it was ever in person, but my understanding it was there was quite a bit of it on social media. And then during the bond hearing for America Deal, um, that's when her attorneys claimed that um, Kelly Lavery was sort of acting in a mean girl sense and that she was the ringleader directing everyone uh, the night of the murder. But the question of why, why Mary Collins was murdered, has gone unanswered. Uh, you know, that's something I think you'd have to ask the people involved. They haven't told us. Uh, you know, the suspects in this case, they've never really come out and explained why. You know, we can make a lot of assumptions, but I think that's that's probably the biggest thing we're all left with is just trying to understand how something so just senseless and just horrendous could happen. That's one of the key things I get asked when people hear the horrific details of this story is, you know, why? I don't know that we'll ever know. I mean, there's, you know, there has to be some sort of, um, there's something going on. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, when I asked the police that very question, he said, that's something you'd have to ask the suspects in this case because they've not said, you know, sometimes people confess or they allude to that has not happened in this case. So um, it's very hard to wrap your head around. There's so many levels of this that are just impossible to understand. Um, I don't have a good answer. I don't know that anyone has a great answer to that. At the heart of this, this was a young girl who just wanted to fit in um, and struggled most of her life to fit in. Even when we talked to her elementary school principal, she said she was just always sweet and was always ready to hug the principal, even when it was not, you know, cool to hug the principal anymore. Um, and so Mary just was that girl that wanted to fit in and never quite did because of what she faced, um, you know, being cognitively delayed and just being a little bit different than the other kids. Um, and she just according to all of the friends and the family that we spoke to, was sweet and vulnerable and just wanted to hang out with her friends. And that's what she thought she was doing. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case. Mary's grandmother tells Michelle Bowden she believes they got Mary sushi just hours before the murder, even posting video of the three of them together. There's actual video of them that appears to be from the night before um, Mary was allegedly attacked. Um, and it's the two of them with Mary. And the understanding or the thinking is that they took this video and they posted it because after uh, Mary was missing for some time before they found her body. And these two suspects actually um, supposedly helped police or pretended to help police in the search. And so they posted this video trying to make it seem like Mary was still okay. So we had all kinds of video, um, and, which is unusual even in this age to have so much. That video is tough to watch now, as are the hundreds of videos and photos Mary posted of herself over the years on social media. Yeah, I think that's another thing that truly set this story apart. Um, you know, we're a visual medium in TV and, you know, everyone on their cell phone and online nowadays. Uh, and to have so many compelling images of this um, young girl, she was 20 years old. One of the things, she was cognitively delayed because of a very rare genetic disorder that she had. So one of the things that really... Um, fulfilled her was that she was very creative. And so she loved changing her hair color and doing her makeup and dressing up. Um, and so there were a lot of photos of that and videos of her. Um, and I think there's also a difference in seeing a photo versus a video. When you see a moving image of someone, it truly helps to bring them to life. Michelle Bowden isn't finished with Mary's case. The trials have been delayed by the pandemic and the three main suspects who were there that night remain behind bars. But a brutal murder that took place two years ago is finally getting attention as Mary's family continues to grapple with the tragic end to a young woman's life. We hear the, we throw the word closure around all the time. And I just don't, in so many years of interviewing victims' families, I'm just not sure that that's something people get. Uh, you know, there's different levels and layers of closure, I guess. Uh, but for this family, they just wanted people to know who Mary was, 
what she was like in life and what happened to her, because really most people did not know this story. Um, even people, you know, in the community where this happened, it's a neighborhood called Noda. It's a popular place for young 20-somethings, um, lots of activity. It's a vibrant community with bars and restaurants, and, and um, people want to live there. And most people were shocked to hear that this happened in that community and in Charlotte in general. Um, so, yeah, and the family, uh, there's still incredible emotion attached to this. It's very difficult. I think that they're evil, I think that they are what evil looks like. Um, they tortured her, and then they they stabbed her over 100 times, and then they hid her in their mattress. To know that this happened to, to Mary, who I just know was so excited to go hang out with some friends, and, and I just can't imagine when they started to turn on her, the fear and confusion that she was feeling, and then just to think what she went through is so, it's so horrible. It's so horrible. I, I think shocking is, is the perfect way to describe it. This is a case that there's so many things about it that just, I think, shocked every one of us that was involved with it. Um, you have uh, you know, such a, a young victim who had so much ahead of her in life. Um, she was, I think, taken advantage of by people she should have trusted or she trusted. And I think that's what just gets you so much more about this case. And it, it's just absolutely, the nature of the crime was just horrendous. I, I struggle to think of a crime that's just really more shocking that we've recently looked at. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, Reed Redmond here to close this episode out with Will Johnson. Will, the details of this story are so difficult to hear and to talk about, and it's clear from hearing your conversation with Michelle Bowden that this has also been incredibly difficult for her to cover. Yeah, Reed, I have to say from the first time I talked to Michelle about this case and she brought it to my attention, I could hear in her voice just immediately, and you hear it in this episode, I think, too, that she truly was reluctant to cover this, but the fact was that she heard from the grandmother and she talked to family, and as she says, she just really wanted to be able to tell the story, but mostly to talk about Mary Collins and talk about who she was and how she lived, and, and of course, what a terrible tragedy this is. Michelle mentioned in the episode that it was actually a tip that led investigators to Mary Collins' body is it fair to assume then that the tip must have come from one of the suspects who's now behind bars? Yeah, and I think she might have mentioned that Jimmy Salerno actually had, had had been talking. But what happened was, according to warrants, Jimmy Salerno, one of the four suspects, one of the three behind bars at this point, Jimmy Salerno talked to a friend and said he'd been at a party with Mary Collins and the other two suspects who were there that night before the murder and that they tied her up beat her in a bathtub, and then hit her in that mattress, where, and they were planning to burn the mattress. So the person that Salerno, Jimmy Salerno, spoke to and told this information to went to police. That kicked off that first search of the apartment uh, where, where they went in, and they didn't have a search warrant at that point, but FAM let them into the apartment. They lifted up the mattress, but they didn't find her body. But then a few days later, after that consent search, a witness and then another witness went back to police headquarters to talk to police, insisting that her body was still in the mattress. And that's when they went back and found her. Talking about that that first search, the consent search, 
as I was listening to Michelle's interview with that CMPD detective, she says something along the lines of, so the missing persons detectives who went out there, did they, did they look at the mattress? And the detective's response was, yeah, that they looked under the mattress. So they actually lifted up the mattress during that first search. Yeah, that's right. They, they in fact, lifted it up, looked, looked under the mattress, but it was so well concealed there that they, they didn't find it until a few days later. And of course, we also mentioned that there was uh, they had used products to conceal the, the, uh, the smell as well. So, you know, they had gone to great lengths to conceal her body. You know, something else I've been thinking a lot about doing what we do, and, and this is something I've talked about with a lot of the reporters that we work with, is this idea of which stories get attention and why. And a lot of that conversation is rightfully about bias, but there's also this aspect of newsrooms just have a limited amount of resources and bandwidth you know, they have X amount of minutes in a newscast or pages in a newspaper to fill. And that means when there are these big, important, attention-dominating stories, like the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, other stories that are still important can go under the radar. And it sounds here like if Michelle Bowden didn't pursue this story, we might not have ever heard about it. Yeah, and Michelle Bowden is convinced that had the pandemic not been hitting in the way that it was back in March of 2020, that this would have been just you know, major news that, you know, national news crews would have been on the scene there in North Carolina covering this case because it just, it, it, it is so horrific and, and it's hard to wrap your mind around what, what happened inside that apartment. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to Michelle Bowden at WCNC in Charlotte. Yeah. And I should mention that if you'd like to read more about this story and read more of Michelle Bowden's reporting, just search Mary Collins, WCNC, or go to WCNC.com. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redmond. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.